Abba Yahweh, this new day, we walk into this new day, a day that you've made. Bless us with breath and life to come forward and walk in this day with you. Teach us, Father, thank you for the opportunity to share your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom. Abba Yahweh, Amen. Paracletos, Amen. Eshua, Adonai. Aman, aman, aman. <coughs> Pardon me. So I'm going to share some things today, and this is dealing with the the promises of God. And I shared already the uh, the promises that we have, the surety that we have that we're given um, in this book, His book of promises that that we need to have either in our hands, in our heart. Um, some people have a, a hard time in memorization. I get that. I am one. Um, but as you practice, especially with the word of God, the Holy Spirit guides this process. Oh, man, I'm so thankful for the things that I have been given and shown by my teacher and then he guides me and he walks with me. But the one thing that I am so, uh, so thankful in showing that unlike governments and uh, that declare these, this thing called uh, inalienable rights that people are supposed to have as citizens and yet they turn around and they change your mind and then they want to take all these things away and they sign these bills and different things and they disguise so much in that word, in this written word that they write things. But if you, if you take the time and you read them carefully, you will find that you are giving up. You are voluntarily giving up. In God's written word and in God's truth and his knowledge and wisdom, he doesn't disguise anything. God's word, his promises, his total, this book is the gospel of Lord God Almighty from front cover to back cover. It is the gospel. And his promises And you've heard pastors, perhaps you have, perhaps you haven't. In case you haven't, I'm going to share it with you now. Infallible truth. The infallible truth and promises given of God. Infallible. What does that mean? Infallible. Absolutely trustworthy or surety. And that God is unfailing in his strength, his power, and his effectiveness to provide for us through his promises. He does not err in his judgments or his pronouncements as Mammon 
does and often will. And I've seen judges behind the bench that have made pronouncements and then said, oh, I misread, I'm sorry, uh, Let's. we're going to have to revisit this. And God doesn't do that. As in the perversion of his word that you have these individuals that will declare themselves and they put themselves in the seat of judgment. As I shared with that program, I, I really love that program, and that this man was so upset and angry that he wanted to put himself in the seat of judgment, blaming God. And so the spirit of truth said, hey, take the judgment seat. I don't need to be here. Go ahead and sit in there. And then showed him. You have this fellow who is going to have to face, um, how did my mom used to say that? My earthly mother used to say, uh, um, oh, I can't remember how, how she said it, but but at any rate, um, one of her sayings was that you're going to have to pay the piper, which means that he's piping the music and you're going to fall to that. You're going to have to pay him eventually because you're not going to keep doing it for free. I'm not sure where that saying came from or exactly what the intent was, but the I think the intent was to, if you keep doing things the way you're doing it, in error and wrong, that eventually you're going to have to, you're going to find that the consequences are there. I'm I'm trying to guess at that now because I never did actually ask her, look up or find out in all these years, and she used to say it all the time. And so I'm, I'm guessing at the meaning of that. And, and the thing of it is that we have to realize, and God even tells us, that Jesus tells us this, that if we choose to do things our own way and we choose to do it without God, and go it on our own, that there are consequences that will be met along the way. And what I have come to learn, and I've shared this with with y'all before, that in not walking with God as I should have been, that things happen, consequential things, and Unfortunately, that I am living in that consequential realm of existence now, and that I'm looking and look back at the past that even then God was with me. But I was being very, very choosy and not choosing to walk with him. That's an unfortunate thing, but the consequences are real and here. And it's a sorrowful thing to go through. However, I'm not going to live in regret, bang my head against the wall, and woulda, shoulda, coulda. Uh, None of that is reasonable, and, and it's not acceptable, actually, with the walk and along the path. Because when you sit there and you're talking to the Spirit of the Lord, you're talking to God and Jesus, well, I should have done, I should have done. That's exactly where Satan wants you to go. The enemy wants to take you into the realm of regret 
agitation. And then what eventually happens is you'll get off on another side path that'll take you still down that dark route. And eventually you're going to find that you're going to get angry and you're going to start blaming everyone else except yourself, which is where the responsibility lies. You made the decision. I made the decision. I wasn't walking with God as I should. And I used other excuses. And I didn't accept my responsibility. I pointed the finger and blamed everybody else except me. And me is where it belonged. So the question begs to be asked. When, and only if it applies to you, then you hear what I'm saying. If it doesn't apply, then don't get your knickers all twisted in a knot so that you sit and squirm around the seat and then you start getting all agitated and judgmental and all that other crap. Because that's what people will do. You don't listen, you don't pay attention. So what you have to do is you have to not only hear the words, but you have to listen. Just when God comes to speak and the Spirit comes to speak, you have to not only hear, but listen, lean in and listen to what's being said. So if you choose to go down that path and then you choose to start blaming others, pointing your finger, comes to condemnation, comes to ridicule, comes to judgmentalism, that you start believing that doctrine and you start to judge everyone else and put the blame everywhere except where it belongs. We have to stay away from that. So I'm going to use this generalized term and it doesn't mean you specifically, it's speaking to anyone out there who's in earshot and if you are guilty of it and you need to repent and change your ways. For those of you that are the label heads and self-proclaimed Christians, and there are many that are, unfortunately, then you can repent. Remember the word, it's a Hebrew word, tesuva. It means to turn around or return and change direction. So change from the direction that you're going and change that direction and come back to God, repent and do what you should be doing. Can, can be done, can be easily done. And God offers that opportunity. So what happens when you keep going down that path, and, and I've seen it exercise and it happens so often. We see it done in and around governmental agencies. We see it being done in uh, sporting organizations. You look what happens to the players that kneel down and pray. You look and see what happens to those individuals that are doing what they believe to be right according to their faith and their belief in God, they're alienated, ostracized, put outside the organization or the organization uh, separates themselves from them. 
you have an individual, and I shared this um, the other day, he was actually arrested for praying, praying. That's all he was doing. Made no threats, wasn't getting allowed, had no placards or anything, but he just, he was praying. They came and arrested him. And then they wanted to use uh, terms against he and his family as far as being a domestic terrorists. Wow, really? Why? Because they believe in God. Because their faith told them that they needed to pray for the situation. However, you have those individuals that don't pray, they don't follow God, and they do all these, oh, wow, egregious activities against the very same thing that this man was praying over. Nothing happens to them. Firebombs are set, graffiti is set, physical harm, but nothing happens. And then you're going to have individuals that are set back and they're going to try to blame God and judge God and say, well, why would God let that happen? Well, they're trying, what, they, what they're trying to say when they do that is, why did God do that? Well, God doesn't make people take and make Errors. He doesn't make them do that. Remember, he's given us a free will choice. And if and when we exercise that choice in the wrong direction, the Holy Spirit will tug at our heart, convict our heart, and get us to change our mind, and then to repent and change direction. God didn't make anybody go down that path chose to go that direction and chose to listen to the white noise interference and chose to do and be take part in that egregious activity. It was a choice, a choice that is made in many instances. When people live in areas that they shouldn't live in because of things that go on. I mean, you have, okay, I'm, I'm going to exercise this statement because my nephew and his family live in a particular area on the island of Hawaii. Hawaii? Or as they pronounce it with a V, kind of. Hawaii. They live in a particular area, and you, you have to know that those islands, if you don't know, I'll share with you that the islands are volcanic. And they still have active volcanoes. And just... uh Last month, I believe it was, that she, my niece, was sharing that they were a little somewhat distraught because the volcanic, volcano had gotten all excited and was getting everybody else excited. But the thing of it is, is that then people turn around and instead of addressing the issues as they are, people start to blame God for those things that took place. And here's the other part of that is that, did you not listen when you were told? And did you not listen when all those things declare my might, my strength and my majesty? Did you not listen when the volcano erupted in a certain area and was trying to tell you that this is probably not a good place and to live this close. And yet they chose to do so anyway. And the Lord God 
has his hand in hedging and protecting. I pray over them. That doesn't mean that their house is going to be completely encased in God's holy hand and completely shielded from all that. And when all that gets a little wild and crazy and that their house is going to be told, not that God can't do it, but the thing of it is that we have to be aware that making a choice to do something and live someplace does not make you bulletproof, volcano-proof, flood-proof, storm-proof. It doesn't make you that way. You walk with God. God's going to go through these things with you. He's going to have his hand on you. It's like when I was talking about the floodplain on the on the bottomlands and people keep moving back there and it floods every, every so often. There's a cyclic event that takes place. Uh, they call it a hundred years flood, I believe is a term that they use when I lived back there. And when the cycle came around and the floods came, they were bad. <laughs> it was bad. And then... I heard people start griping and complaining and shaking their hands at heaven like, why'd you do this, God? Why did you do this? Well, first of all, God didn't do it. And they chose to move to that area and maybe even advised not to, but they were more concerned with that bottom line is getting the big crops and getting all that money and having, being able to do all this stuff. And I mean, a lot of the people, they were smarter than others in the way that they did it. And having storage for those real high dollar pieces of equipment that they had to have to come down there and do the harvest, but they didn't park everything down there right next to the house and all that. They had other arrangements that were made. And there were some people that didn't do that. And they, when the floods came in that cyclic event, Sadly and adversely to the other, they lost everything. Equipment, crops, silos washed out, homes washed out. It's not a good thing, but you cannot stand here and as that angry man did when he lost his youngest child and stand down here and put yourself in a place of judgment over the Lord God Almighty and shake your fist to the heavens and blame God. God, why did you let this happen? God, why did you do this? Uh, and who put you in sovereign position over the Lord God and put you on the seat of judgment, that you judge the Lord God Almighty and that you blame everyone else except the responsibility that you need to take on your own and pray forgiveness through God who will forgive and does forgive and does still love. Remember, for God so loved the world, for God so loves the world, he continues to allow repentance, he still continues to forgive And you still, and he still makes the offer. Whosoever chooses to believe that Jesus is your savior, that I am in him, in you, and with you, 
and that I anointed him to come and save you. And he does so and did so and will keep our promises that we made. And as he told you when he was getting ready to leave, that he will be with you until the end of the age. And as I promise you, be not afraid nor dismayed, for I, thy Lord, thy God, am with you whithersoever thou goest. And I share in the word that that doesn't mean from point A to point B. That doesn't mean that when you get in your car in Santa Monica and you decide that you're going to drive historic Route 66, and drive from there to Chicago and then continue heading northerly and easterly. That's not what God means when it says, whithersoever thou goest. It does, but it doesn't. Now you're saying, now what are you talking about? Well, it means not only from point A to point B, but as is described in Psalm by David, it also means that when we are in joy and we're rejoicing in happiness, a son, a daughter got married, birth of a, of a grandchild or birth of a child, that God is there in that glorious time and rejoicing with us. Or as we go down into a valley and we grieve, we grieve because of a loved one lost from this plane of existence and has passed from this plane of existence and has gone to meet the Lord. We know that there's a certain grieving process. Should be very pleased, but there is a grieving process that takes place. And in that grief, God is with us. And even if we choose to take ourselves even farther and we go farther down into a valley of discouragement and despair because perhaps that loved one was really, really close and you allow yourself to turn up that white noise interference and it's really high volume so you chose to go even deeper and you choose to walk down and then the Holy Spirit grabs on and says where are you going come on come on act in tesuva turn around return change your mind let's change direction let's go back up to the light and you look around, you see how dark it is, and then you choose to come on. God is even with you there. The Holy Spirit will speak to you there if you lean in and listen, even in that darkest place. I like this song that, uh, oh, I can't remember what his name is. I, I apologize for that, but he's a contemporary Christian singer, and he talks about being on the mountaintop, and when he's there, he doesn't forget that the Lord guided him and helped him get there. You have to remember this too, that when you're on a pinnacle, 
You didn't get there and you're not on the apex of that mountain because you did it all by yourself. Just like uh, a lot of these uh, following these self-proclaimed gurus that are going to tell you how to do things and how you do it on your own. And I've shared this with you before. There's no such thing as self-help. Everyone needs help. And no matter what, even if you go through and you follow these step-by-step indicators that these self-help individuals use, and it really, it's actually a a total contradiction, number one, to the word of God, and number two, to their own rulings and what they're trying to teach, and that they declare themselves to be Christian self-help gurus and counselors. Well, I've expressed my opinion and my point of view on that is that's a contrary teaching and a false doctrine because if you have Christ-centered in your life, which is where he needs to be at all times, Christ-centered, God-centered, Holy Spirit-guiding, Faith believing in God and choosing the Lord over self, and that we take self out of the middle, and all the Word of God talks about that. Not in self help. Pardon me, excuse me, sorry, sorry, sorry. And there is no such thing as a self help or a self-made anything. Because somewhere along the way, someone helped, someone put their hand out, and someone lifted. And someone boosted them up. Now, their confession to that being done, they may, and more than likely do, deny that, and will not accept that as truth. Oh, I did it on my own. I'm a self-made billionaire. Well, no, you're not. You made some good choices based on, pardon me, based on guidance and direction and advice that someone gave. Pardon me a minute, please. Man, I'm sorry. Devil's really working on me here trying to interrupt all this, but based on advice that was given, guidance that was given, and you chose to follow that or adhere to that, so now you had some good things take place. You did that on your own. You don't want to say thank you openly or publicly in the fact that this person guided you. It's very much like the self-proclaimed Christians and the label heads that like to put that little tape across their forehead and say, Christian. So people look and take notice. Oh, trust me when I tell you this, that they will do so anyway. But when you decide that you're going to claim that as your own and not give <clears throat> praise and honor where it belongs to God, 
our creator, Abba, Father. Thank you, Father, for your guiding my steps in the Holy Spirit and teaching me for the day and giving me breath in my lungs and allowing me the opportunity to be a conduit for your word and share that word, which is what we're supposed to be doing by his direction from the word of God, is that when we get up and he gives us the day, which we're not promised anyway, the Bible tells us tomorrow is not promised. So why do you go to bed taking for granted that you're going to even draw breath to start the new day? And then when you start the new day, you don't put the thanks where it belongs. You don't say, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the rest that you've provided. Thank you, Lord, for this new day that I can get up and have an opportunity to share your word with whomever will listen, which is what we are supposed to be doing. But there are individuals that don't even do that. They don't thank God for getting to work. They don't thank God for the guidance for anything at all. They just take for granted that it's theirs anyway. Well, it's not yours anyway. The Bible is very clear. Because of this broken plane of existence that we walk in, and it is broken, and there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of really beautiful, great things. If you turn around, you look, and you open your spiritual eyes and you see with spiritual eyesight, and you hear with spiritual thinking, it's not all doom and gloom. But it is a broken plane of existence that we do live in. Live on, depending on your point of view, however you want to say it. But God, here's the thing. This is part of that scripture, that God still is with us, and God still walks with us and guides our steps. Why? because he loves us. And unlike those perverts that will get on the stage and darken his word and darken all that that he provides, because of the white noise interference, because that's what Satan wants to do. And as they are listening to their father, the devil, they want to change the word of God. They want to rewrite the word of God and they want others to believe that God made a mistake when he wrote the Bible. And trust me when I tell you this, he is the author and the finisher and God wrote the word, might've had other people penning it. They were the writers, but he was the author. You have many, you have Moses, you have Job, you have Ruth, you have Esther. Daniel, Isaiah, Joshua. Did I say Moses? Moses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Saul becoming Paul. They wrote, they penned the books in the Bible. But the author and the finisher is Lord God Almighty. They were not alone. And they were following the Holy Spirit, which was guiding their thought process to what they were writing down. Pardon me. And that is 
the way of the Lord. So you get these perverts that go up on stage and then they try to say, oh, that, well, and now what they're trying to say is try to get you to believe is that God is no longer infallible, that he is actually fallible <laughs> and that he made a mistake, which is exactly what this guy said when he got up there parading around with his little multi-colored scarf that was drawing attention to his movements, which is why many of them do this sort of thing. And when they get up and they get on stage and they parade back and forth, they get their hands waving around so that this colored shawl or whatever they decide, it's flapping around in the breeze and your attention is drawn to their movement. It's not, you're, you're, you, you get drawn, distracted, and you're watching this parade take place. You're not even hearing what's being taught because you're caught up and it doesn't much matter anyway because those individuals are teaching false doctrine. So this individual decided that he was going to be one of the judges and, and he made mention of the fact that he was part of a uh, committee a group that had decided that God is fallible and God made a mistake and that the book of John need and that the Bible needs to be rewritten because there are other scriptures, much like John 3.16, that is written in mistake. However, if the individual took the scripture in context, which he did not do, and was not teaching in context because God turns around and says, that he's not condemning and his son didn't come to condemn, but that the choice, which is what God has said from the beginning, is that the choice, and that we choose to either believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God, and that we choose to have faith in God. This, is, this goes all the way back, okay? Let's go back and you'll say, well, what about Noah? Yeah, what about Noah? Let's talk about Noah for a moment, shall we? Noah spent approximately 120 years. I'm, I'm not really sure I can get back and do the math, but I've heard others talk about the time spent was 120 years that he and his sons built the ark based on directive from Lord God Almighty. What was... Noah doing that 120 years as he was building. And individuals that skim over and don't read the Bible say that, oh, he was building that because God told him and God was going to destroy the earth. Well, let's go back up to Noah. Okay, let's, let's go back in there. Noah spent his time working on the ark and preaching. He was trying to get people to choose to repent and follow the directions of God. 120 years that he spent preaching and people chose to exercise that which God gave them and they deny anyway. And he gave that to them, a free will choice, and they chose to exercise not to believe. And what did they do for 120 years? They made fun of old man Noah. 
Hey, 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 what are you doing tomorrow? I don't have much plan. I was going to take some of this. I was going to squish some of these grapes that we were able to get here, and I'm going to chase down a chicken. And Well, come on. We're going to go down and make fun of old man Noah some more. We're going to wait. Let, come on, come on. You can You can do that later. Oh, okay. So what do they do? They take their kids in hand and, and they pick a little picnic lunch with them. They go down there and they sit. They don't offer to help Noah. They sit and they watch him climbing the scaffolding ladders or however they did that back then. And while he's up there working on this ark that God told him to do, build, and his response to them was that repent and find the error in your ways, repent, change direction, turn around <clears throat> and have the Holy Spirit guide you the direction you need to go. Did they do that? No, they spent their whole time down there. Oh man, you're nuts. You don't know what you're talking about. There is no God. Where's God? Look around. You see God anywhere? I don't see God. No, we don't see God. Oh, he talks to you? What, you're special now because God speaks to you and he doesn't speak to us? Uh, he's trying to, but you're not listening. You're not hearing him and you're not listening. Why? Because you choose to try to disrupt what Noah has been told to do and you choose to go in that direction. Let's go back even farther in time. Let's go back and throw that lever to the Wayback Machine. Sorry, that was a little, that was a little analogy to a cartoon I used to walk when I was a kid. <laughs> Long time ago, 60 years ago. And you used to call it the Wayback Machine because the silly little character could go back in time can go way back in time. So let's throw the lever of the way back machine and we're going to go back to, ooh, here's a good one. Let's go back to Egypt. Oh, yeah. We're going to go back to Egypt. And that Moses was given some directions. He even tried to talk his way out of doing that thing which God called him to do. God, of course, being all-knowing and all-seeing, and aware, <clears throat> said, okay, Moses, I know these things have occurred and took place and your injury didn't heal right or you didn't allow it to and that you're complaining about this, but, but that's okay because your brother Aaron, who is really good with speech and honestly schooled better and took his studies to heart, he's going to go and you're going to carry the stick. And when I tell you to tell Aaron to do something, it will be exactly as I tell him to do it. Or dot, dot, dot. Well, we find out what that dot, dot, dot was because Moses disobeyed God. And he went and he walked and he guided the children of Egypt, of Israel out of Egypt. Not only them, but there were some 
I can't, for, I, I had it written down. I got to look through my notes, but I have the number written down that left Egypt. And it wasn't just the nation of Israel. God permitted those other, when they talk about the strangers in their camp, which comes in the word later, is that these were individuals that chose to go the direction with them because they didn't like what Egypt was doing because the Pharaoh that was there in charge now was different than the Pharaoh that was there before. The Pharaoh, when Joseph first brought Israel, his father Jacob and the people of Israel to Egypt, they were given the land up in Goshen. And it was a land that was flowing with good things for them because of the, um, because the Pharaoh took heed to what was in his dreams through the word of Joseph, who was given the interpretation. And the nation of Israel came and actually lived in Goshen. But then that Pharaoh died and the new Pharaoh became agitated because he listened to the negative reports of his council. And he chose to put Israel into deep, heavy slave bondage. Not like they were living in the land and they were working for, and they did so voluntarily because this is how they could pay back what they were doing. They they helped with the crops, they brought the crops in and they helped take care of the children and the, and the households. And they did, they worked for what they had, but they weren't uh, bondage. But yet the new Pharaoh, I think that was Ramesses, one of them, who they put them in heavy bondage because his counselor said, oh, we need to work them hard. We need to tire them out so that they're not gonna wanna turn against us. If we don't do that, they're gonna strengthen, they're going to increase in number, which they're doing and they're going to take over. And then we won't be Egypt anymore. We're going to be them. So he put them in heavy bondage and made them do heavy labor to wear them down and tire them out. And they chose to look away from God and complain and gripe about what Egypt was doing and not even paying attention that that God was still with them. And when they left Egypt, on direction of Moses, and they walked out, those strangers in their camp that are spoken of in the word of God were allowed to go because they didn't want to follow Egypt's ways. They didn't want to worship the false idols. But yet along the way, you have Israel choosing to look the other direction, shake their fists at heaven and complain about the fact that God was providing them heavenly bread and brought things to them to provide. And Moses was directed to do certain things and he chose just before they were going into uh, the land of Canaan that he disobeyed God. And he did so, why? Because he decided that the way God wanted him to do it wasn't good enough for the people of Israel. So he was gonna smack the rock and bring out water. But God allowed it. And he allowed it because all those people that came out and followed were needing water. And he knew that the women and children were crying out for thirst. And because God loves the way he does, he allowed that to take place, albeit 
in the wrong direction away from what he told Moses to do. Now, God kind of pulled him on his collar loop, pulled him over and told him, he said, Moses, because of your disobedience and your choosing to do it your way instead of my way, you will not see the promised land with the nation of Israel. You will not cross the river and go into the promised land as they will because you chose to do it Moses' way instead of my way. Now, God, God told Moses to go out and tap the stone or to touch a stone and, and the water would flow. Moses decided to go out and do it the way that the nation of Israel was used to seeing in their walk out of that and going through the wilderness and every time that he provided them with water to drink and provided that sustenance for them, that uh, he was going to smack that rock. He was going to hit that rock and make the water gush out. Uh, he was caught up in all the attitude that that they had been dumping on him and griping and complaining and shaking their fists at God and complaining about everything that was going on. Forgetting the fact that God had delivered them. Forgetting the fact that God provided them all the things that they needed. And when they wandered in the wilderness, I have shared this with you before and I'll share it again. They wandered for 40 years. I share again with you. Is there anything in your closet that is 40 years old that has not been reduced to thread or that when you go to take it off the hanger that the, that the material just kind of breaks apart and that you actually need to dispose of it because it would cost so much more to have a reparation done? Or perhaps you just fold it and put it in a, in a bag and you save it because, because. 40 years they wandered. Their clothes did not need to be re-sewn. The sandals that shod their feet did not need repair. And he provided heavenly bread and meat in a quail and meat, the pheasant, and they still found room to complain. despite the fact that for 40 years God watched over them, took care of them, put the cloud before them, the pillar of fire that was with them at nighttime so they could look and see that the Lord God was there, is there. Brothers and sisters, when are we going to stop pretending to be what we are not? God does not mind our weakness. He does not mind our admission to not being able to do things on our own. He doesn't mind that. He does not. He is our Lord God. He is our Heavenly Father. And in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 55 is very poignant and very poignant fact about God's promises. And he talks about his witness. And he talks about the promises he gives. 
and he talks about prayer and he talks about the changing direction. I'm going to pick up in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. There's that word Hebrew, word teshuva, to turn around, change direction, return. And this has to do with the book of Revelation. So this, this talks about the pronouncement that John gave to the churches. And when Jesus is speaking in that, and he is speaking to the pastor church, he goes, you're all doing good. I recognize the good that you're doing. He said, but Jesus told him, he said, I have aught with you because you have left your first love. And he tells them that. So he tries, he's speaking to them. So they change direction. They return. They turn around. So again, further in verse seven, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And remember this, that the grace of God is our salvation and his mercy and that he allows us to continue in walking that way and to share the word of God, to share his truth. Further, and to our God, this is, have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. When you come and you repent, God will grab you, hug you, pull you in tight, and give you such a big old God bear hug that you're going to think your bones are going to break. But he doesn't break you. He just hugs you to let you know how much he loves you. Further, verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So why do we continue to try to figure things out with our finite minds, and we totally forget that, that the thoughts and ways of God are infinitely higher than what we can possibly put together. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. What is God saying? God is saying that he doesn't do things that are wasteful and that are not necessary. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, and it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereso I sent it. What's God saying there? In the thing wherein I sent it. And God's word is what? Infallible. Absolutely trustworthy or sure. 
And a little side note here for me in my literary journal, God's Word Pure. So that thing wherewith he sent it is us, brothers and sisters. It's us. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And this is what God is talking about when he looks down at man and he says, and why didn't you heed? Well, gee, God, maker of all things made, I, we didn't know. <coughs> and that little wry smile will come on and he says, why didn't you listen? The oceans roared with my majesty. The thunderstorms were rolling with my voice of majesty and might and sovereignty. The winds, when they came and they roared, the mountains echoed my majesty. Everything was declaring, the birds of the fields, they were singing about it. And the canyons, they echoed my voice of majesty. Why didn't you listen? I'm going to read that verse 12 again. For ye shall go out with joy and led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up a fir tree. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And that shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The word of the Lord is truth. And this I will share with you now because I've shared this with you before. Empirical evidence. What is empirical evidence? Empirical evidence is that evidence that is presented, cannot be denied, won't be denied because it is so obviously true. There is no possible way that it can be argued against. But yet... There are those that will argue the point. As for me and my house, we know God is real. We know God is true. My companions, my service dogs that spend time with me and have been with me for so long, God brought us together. And they know that when I'm taking this time to be in God's word, they know that this is directed from him. And I used to not be able to do this. I used to have to, <laughs> I used to actually have, where I was living before, I used to actually have to put them in a in timeout because they just wouldn't stop the noise. And now my little guy, he's sitting right here watching me and looking at me and trying to understand what's being shared. But I share that portion with you because God brought us together. He brought them to me and he brought me to them. And they're with me why God does this because he knows that there are certain things that we need. And, and I love the fact that the unconditional lesson that they teach, because we as homo sapiens and walking in the, on this plane of existence in mammon is that we don't have that. We forget that love that God has given to us that makes us able to love. And without that love, we can't. And many times we don't. 
and people will choose to say, well, I can't love her anymore because she did this or did that. Or she will say, I can't love him anymore because he did this or did that. Sad, but repentable. And you can say, God, forgive me, strengthen me, show me righteousness. Show me your truth. Be with me, Father, in my walk. Before I start my day and get out and get going, once in a great while I, I slip and maybe I have to get to the restroom something a little faster, I get and then I'll sit, but I stop. And I make a point before I get caught up in doing the other stuff that I have to thank God, first of all, for the breath that he gave me because without his breath, I wouldn't be walking. I don't take for granted anything that God gives me to do, which is why I thank him before I start in this. This is his platform. And his allowance allows me to continue this. And the empirical evidence that is shown before me on everything that he does, that his promises are true. And that our walk as heirs and joint heirs in the kingdom of heaven and those things that we have that he gives are not alienable. They can't, they're not taken away. You can choose to ignore them and walk away from them, but he doesn't take them back. That's your choice. Choose to believe that Jesus, Savior, Emmanuel, God in us and with us, Christ, anointed of God, is indeed the only begotten Son of God, Abba Yahweh, Heavenly Father, that we have faith, and Paracletos, that we will have that as our guide and teacher. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers on my going out and the start of every day and the end of every day.